The question I have for you with that song is, how can you live your life the same, going through the same motions week after week, day after day, and not let the blood of Christ Jesus change your life? How? As a Christian, at the core of your being, how? How? How can we as the body of Christ not do things differently than the world, knowing the awesome, incredible, horrific price that was paid for our sin? How? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses, going through verses. In your, in your bulletin and in last week's uh, sermon questions, I put uh, from 7 to 16, I am positive. We're not going to get quite that far. I'm going to go through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 uh, this morning. And we'll save that other four for another time. Just uh, praise the Lord, too much, uh, too much there. The question I have for you today is, you'll see the sermon title, Missional Church. What is a missional church? What do you think of when you think of missional church? A lot of times we think of sending missionaries, sending people out, actively supporting missions, things like that. The thing I want you to think about today, a missional church, it's not a specific activity of the church. What is the church's mission in the world? What is the providence? What is providence? Why is providence here? What does providence exist for? What does every other church exist for? Why is the church here? What are we to be doing as the body of Christ? Missional, it describes the very identity, the essence of the church, if you will. How the church takes up actively, actively, not passively. That's the key. We're going to talk about actively, not passively, takes up its role in what God has for the church, in God's story, God's plan, if you will. How is Providence being a missional church? Are we a missional church? Are we actively taking that up, or are we resting? What is our, what is our goal in, in society. Um, a big uh, word that, the thing of it's a huge, one of them I call it one of them $50 words, but ecclesiology is a lot of what this is about. Understanding who we are, our identity, our role, comes from the, the Greek word ecclesia. And it's, we get the book of Ecclesiastes from that. Why are we here? What is our identity? What is our role? How is God using us? How are we allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in our life? How are we being used by God as, as the church? Before we get into the text, going to talk, you'll notice in your, in your notes we've got three different things. The past, the present, and then our future. If we look at the past, for sake of time, I'm not going to go through this pretty quick. Think about what Mike read this morning in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I'll tell you what, if you guys didn't... Okay, every time we have a uh, preacher, we have water up here um, to drink. You'll notice we can drink because throat stuff. Jim does that. <sighs> Anybody want to take a guess what that is? And I didn't do it. <laughs> so I have choices today. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I just looked down there. I was like, what in the world? John was talking. Sorry. They got me. <laughs> Everybody watch if the youth try to storm the stage and get to the Mountain Dew, because that, that could be a problem. Good, where is he at? I'll, I'll get him later. Anyways. <laughs> the past, the present, and the future. 
All right, the past. Uh, talking about Israel. Think about Israel, if you will. Daryl, if you, if you got a second, if you could pull up that map, that'd be great. Think about the missional identity of Israel. It's defined by its plan in God's story, in God's redemption. Christopher Wright wrote, I got this out of one of the books I'm reading. Uh, it's called A Light to the Nations. I got it at our uh, Together for the Gospel conference a month ago. Christopher Wright writes in this, Fundamentally, our mission if it is biblically informed and validated, means our committed participation as God's people, at God's invitation and command, notice those two things, an invitation and a command also, in God's own mission within the history of the world for the redemption of God's creation. This is the plan that God enacted from the beginning of time, starting with Israel. That's why I'm talking about the past here. Missions or missional mission is what God is doing for the sake of the world. It's God's long-term purpose to renew creation. And you think about if you think about the history and the past of Israel and how it started in those verses that we think about Adam and Eve, and then chapter six of Genesis, Noah and the flood, God destroys the earth. And then there in chapter twelve, with this one man, Abraham, what Mike read this morning, God is planning to bless him to bless him and by through him have him to bless all the nations of the world through, we know thousands of years later, through Jesus Christ. So God wanted Israel, his desire was for Israel to be an attractive sign to all the nations of God's blessing, of his, his stamp, if you will, on their life. This was his plan in the beginning. So you think about that, that covenant relationship with Israel. For time's sake, we're not going to get through all of that, but think about the Old Testament and the covenant that God had with Israel. Now, the key is, the next thing I'm going to talk about a little bit, think of your, ourselves and Israel. God's chosen people do not exist for themselves. We don't exist for ourselves. We would like to exist for ourselves, because that's how we live a lot of our lives, isn't it? Pretty much for ourselves and what we want and for our comfortability. That's normally what we live for. That's not why we exist as God's chosen people. Instead, we exist for God's glory, for His mission, for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, to whom the mission is directed, which is a lost and dying world, if you think about that. Think about Israel and how, as time progressed up through Deuteronomy, Judges. We went through the book. I had the privilege of preaching through Judges here many years ago, five, ten years ago about how Israel acted, how Israel behaved, the things that Israel did. They, wanted, they saw all the nations around them had a king. They wanted a king instead of being good enough for God to be their king. All the ways they steeped into sin and got sidetracked, if you will. So we see that God, through Abraham, he sets out on this long journey of restoration, helping, maintaining, keeping his promise with Israel. If you look here, this is a map, Daryl pull this up, of present-day Middle East. This is how things are lined out. It's a pretty, pretty wide map. You'll see Israel. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. There's Greece. have been hearing so much about them in the news today. Israel, little bitty country right, right here along the edge here. Israel is completely, besides the sea here, completely surrounded with the descendants of Hagar, the descendant Ishmael. Ishmael's countries that absolutely hate them. Uh, if you've paid any attention to the news, Iran has publicly stated they want to completely wipe them off the map. 
They want to completely destroy them. So Israel, but here they are, still, thousands of years later, there they are with their country. All these countries that absolutely hate them, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, all those, all those countries, from, interestingly enough, we know the promise that was made in chapter 12 of Genesis. Just a few chapters later, as Abraham and Sarah were getting older in years, we know what happened. They didn't listen to God's promise. As was common in those days, Sarah gave Hagar, her maidservant, to Abram so he could go sleep with her and possibly bear children through her and Hagar. And Ishmael was the result of that. That's where all of this came from. Now, interestingly, with, if you think about Israel today, this country, we don't have a topographical map, but it is desert, dry, barren. If you know much about Israel, has anybody, has anybody ever been to Israel? Anybody in the church? No one has. I hope to go someday. I had some wonderful stories talking to my, my grandpa Dave uh, Graber about when he went to Israel. They can grow anything there. They're in the desert. They can grow anything. They have nuclear power, nuclear arms. Um, the thing that's interesting is so many of those other countries, you know, hate Israel. They hate America also because we're an ally with Israel. And, and so we're lumped in that. But you think about what Israel has done through history. A very interesting thing. Many scholars of prophecy in the Bible. In May of 1948, Israel once again became a sovereign nation after literally thousands of years. Once again became a sovereign nation. This is the last thing that has to happen, prophetically speaking, before Christ returns. And it happened about 60 years ago. May of 1948. Nothing else has to happen prophetically for the Lord to return. If you think about that, incredible story. Uh, several years before I was born, in the, in the late 60s, they had something known as the, some of you are probably familiar with this, the Six-Day War. What happened in that war, Syria from the north up here attacked, Egypt from the south, this war took six days, and Israel's still there, so you can obviously tell who won. There are stories of them finding hundreds, if not thousands, of Egyptian tanks out here in the Sinai Peninsula, completely intact, just abandoned. They said some of them were still running, still had the diesel engines going, were still running. And reports of Egyptian soldiers saying they'd seen things in the desert. Who knows what God had them see. But can you imagine the Israeli troops coming down into there ready to fight? Here's all these abandoned tanks. Got into them, drove them up to Israel. God still has, he has made a promise to Abraham. I don't know what the fulfillment of that promise, the complete fulfillment, all that God has for Israel, but we see Today, they are truly a blessed nation. They are still there after that many years. This is, this is the past of God's missional, missional identity. We see Israel has kind of lost that. If you think about this, this process that they've went through all these years and how they're supposed to be a light to the nations. And the question you might be having is one of the big questions I've had Israel rejected the Messiah. Obviously it happened, so it was in God's plan the way it had to be. How does the fulfillment of that prophet, prophecy still look with their covenant relationship, even though they had rejected Christ? I don't know exactly how God's going to use Israel, how that all is going to be laid out and planned out. But obviously God still, as you can see these days, God still has his hand on Israel and is going to use them. Some things about this missional identity and missional plan. The bad news. We see this displayed, the bad news of sin displayed vividly. All nations, all nations around the world are alienated from God. Sin ravages as us as a people, 
Every part of our social and cultural life is ravaged by sin. Every part of our personal life. We see the effects of sin on creation. All of those things. Looking at just, uh, I'm just going to use a few of the, of the books that I, I had, have, had the privilege of preaching through here at Proverbs. Judges, Haggai, Malachi. We see how Israel behaved in their separation from God and His plan. How they, after the exile, they went off into other areas, into other wet things. Chased after worthlessness. And themselves became worthless and didn't follow that. We see that. We see that nowadays. How nations... So many nations are, how our nation in itself, just a week or so ago, our president came out in support of gay marriage. How our nation is traveling down that path. Pro-life, pro-choice, abortion issues. We have so many issues going on in our country today. We see the effects of sin in culture, in life. How does the church play into that? How has the church played into that in the past? That's all the bad news. The good news. God has made a plan. And God will keep His plan and His promises. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, literally in the middle of history. If you think about that, B.C. and A.D. Now, literally, Christ separated history. His birth here on earth separated history into two eras, or two time frames, if you will. God, By God sending Jesus Christ into this world to make payment for our sin is the culmination of his plan. Now, the past with Israel and those things going on there, let's go a little bit to the future, to the present, excuse me, and talk about this. What has happened to the church over the past 15, 20, 100, 200 years? What has happened to the church? A thousand years ago, the church and the church was society, if you will. The church, everything about society came in through church. Church was the central focus of things. How is that how has that changed? How has that... What happened, I guess, if you will? It used to be the central focus. Church used to be. Now, for the most part, church is something we also do. We have our lives and other things we go on, and church is kind of something we, we also do. We come into there. Churches over the past, say, a couple hundred years, if you will, have been focused, have kind of instead of being the central part of society, have kind of allowed themselves to get more over off onto the edge. You hear a lot of things about false teachers. You hear a lot of things about heresy, things that shouldn't be coming through the church. I believe, reading over some past history and things, I believe a lot of, a lot of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been, le- has been left out of the church. Many churches nowadays, you will not hear about the blood of Jesus Christ, the cross, those type of things. Which should be the central focus of our being, our religion, what we are, who we are. We've kind of allowed church to become, I've used this word before, these two words. Church has kind of become a social club, if you will. We come to church and kind of talk about the ball game and what we're doing next week and where we're going on vacation. and those. Instead of talking about the cross, how the cross has changed our life. How sin has affected our life and what we're doing about it, helping one another. Not looking at someone else, oh, did you see what they did? We've kind of, we've lost that over the past years, haven't we? A lot of what church has become, and we've allowed it. So, does church today, does church take the central focus that God has given it throughout society and use that? Or where has it, where is providence? Where does providence fit in all this? What have we, what issues, what have we let kind of get 
our vision over here, over here, or sideways, apart from what God has had for us. If you look at, I want to read just a couple verses about the end times. We shouldn't find these things, it's sad, but we shouldn't find this shocking. Obviously, God knows these things are going to happen. God's allowed them to happen for His glory. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul is writing a letter. He's wrote this letter to Timothy, and the title of this is Preach the Word, this specific portion of, of 2 Timothy here. And I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. This is, this is Paul speaking to Timothy about Preach the Word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we'll, re- and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is Paul telling Timothy that. Don't be surprised. He said, this is going, the time is coming when people aren't going, want, aren't going to want to listen to the truth. Another, another place that it speaks about this is in, in the book of Jude. I'm going to read verses 17 through 23 of Jude. A call to persevere. But you are, must remember, beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. If you look at those verses, ungodly passions, scoffers, things like that, how much has that infiltrated church and society? All these things kind of took a little while on, on history there. Going to bring us up to our future. What is the future at Providence? What is the future of our church? What is the future of church and society? How does the church, I don't know about you, I really kind of want to distance myself from all of this ugliness we've just talked about. Where does the church stand, and where do we go from here? Stand with me, if you will, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Our future. What is the church? So what do we do now, you might be asking. What does the church do now? How do we, how do we go now? 1 John 4. God is love. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that You'd help us as a church. Help us to love. Help us to see Your love as the central focus and the only reason for our being and doing. Everything we do should focus around You and Your love. Help us as a church to be directed by Your vision by what you planned from Abraham's time for Israel and for the church body, the body of Christ nowadays, to live our lives and our church to be a missional church, a church that is a light in this dark world, a church that is not involved 
in worldly things as far as being involved in worthlessness, but is involved in a way with the world that shows your truth and your light where we're helping others and leading a gospel-centered life. Dear Lord, help us in that. Thank you for your truth. Thank you so much for your son. And just pray that you'd be with us today as we finish out your message, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Somebody else is done too. Our future. 1 John 4, verse 7. You notice we sang this today. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God is love. It's who He is. If you think about this, no one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. He allowed Moses to see kind of the, the backside shadow of Him as He passed by, but no one has ever seen God. But if we love, love completes the picture of God to a lost and dying world. You think about you think about that. How, is your, how does your love look to a lost and dying world? Is it self-sacrificial? Is it based on conditions? How does, how does love live through that? Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if someone is showing that Christ-like love, they've been born of God, meaning they're born again as a Christian, and also they love God. Two, two things. God's whole nature is love at its core. The chief characteristic of that is love. Those who are born again receive God's nature. If you turn back just a couple pages with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Think about this. If you are born again, this is how your life should look. John, John is so blunt with his writing. Love John. Just so blunt and so forward. This is how it will look. Second Peter, another one. Peter, very blunt, very straightforward. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Through those promises, we are to become partakers in what Christ and God have for us. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So as a Christian, our nature should be daily, weekly, monthly, looking more and more and more like God and His divine nature. Obviously, we know we are never going to attain that perfection until we are with Him in glory. But, as a missional church, a missional people, our lives have to portray this in everything we do and say and are. This should be who we are as a people of God. Are we that way? Are we living that way? Does our life pertain to that? Does our love point to Christ to the type of love that God has and what He has, we will reflect that love at our very being if, if, you notice in that verse, if we've been born again and know God. If we are changed, truly changed at our core, we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, our lives will look like this. Two things, real quick. If your life does not look like this, two things. Number one, you've let sin into your life. And as we read in Peter there, 
worldly passions, sinful desires. And that's a thing where as this is where the body of Christ comes in and the Holy Spirit. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to change us? Are we actively seeking other brothers and sisters to come together? God didn't intend for believers to live on an island. He didn't intend us to be alone. That's why we have this body to help us. That's the first thing. We've let sin creep in. The second thing is you're not a believer. Two things. If this love is not pertaining. One of two things. So I encourage you, get with other people. Get with, live that life. Sometimes we get, we get so angry, upset, bristly if someone ever comes to us and lovingly, in a Christ-like manner, helps us with our sin, sees things in our lives that need, that need correction, that need discipline, need the love of Christ. We get really, sometimes we can get really antsy. Why are they even doing that? I can't believe, you know, they did it. Which is more loving? To tell someone in a loving Christ-like way of their sin and help them with that? Working towards what we're all supposed to be working towards in our sanctification towards the life of God? Or to be angry about that, to be talking to everyone else under the sun about it and never going and telling that person about it? Which is... I know what the world thinks. I mean, we all know what the world thinks. The world thinks, obviously, the second option. But is that what God thinks? No. God wants us to be openly talking to each other about our sin. Actively seeking out sin. You don't want to... I think everybody in this church uh, has been affected in some way, shape, or form by cancer. You know someone, you've had someone die. Everyone in this church, I would, I'm going to go that far and to say that. Everyone knows someone who's been affected by cancer. If you had a cancerous tumor in your body or someone you love about it, you would do everything you possibly could to get that thing out. Brothers and sisters, we have something in our body far worse than cancer ever will be. It is sin. And we let it actively fester and rot and stench and destroy our lives and our lives to the world. We don't live out this mission that Christ died for. We let it actively just sit there and rot and let us have a life of worthlessness. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I wrote a few notes here. I don't even know if that needs any explanation. If you do not love, you don't know God because God is love. Simple. Basic core issue. If you know God, you will love others. You will love other people. How does this love look among believers? How does it show itself? How does it if you will, manifest itself. What is happening in your life to show others, to show this lost and dying world? If someone does not love, they're not changed at their core. The gospel, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, something, something is not working there. Pride, sin, loving our sin more than loving Christ comes into that and takes us away from the light of the cross. We want to live as, as people. We want to live in darkness anyways because that's what our sin likes. Our sin hates coming into the light and letting that being revealed and getting it fixed. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us to live hidden, secret. And it's not that big a deal. Look what so-and-so else is doing. There's a lot worse than yours. It's cool. It's all good. Yeah, just go on. It's fine. It's no big deal. That's exactly what the enemy wants. Verse 9. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. We have in God, we have an example from God of the ultimate act of sacrificial love. Him sending His perfect, spotless Son to save us, to save wretched humanity in our sin. We have this example. This God cannot look on sin. We know... Going back to the past again, Israel and the whole sacrificial system and having the, the perfect animal, the spotless lamb to pay for the sins and those type of things. We have that example from the Old Testament. Now we, now we have this example from God of self-sacrificial love sending His own Son to die on the cross for our sin. The wrath, the wrath for that sin that you and I deserved was paid for on the cross. And you think about those three hours, in our, they call it in, uh, in Matthew, it's the sixth through the ninth hour, but those three hours, it had been from noon to three o'clock on that Friday when he was on that cross, darkness, Matthew says, darkness came upon the land when God turned his face from his son. All of the sin that you and I have committed, are committing, will ever commit, was paid for on that cross. Same question asked at the beginning, how can that not change our life, people? How can that not make us a body of Christ that wants to live out God's mission in this world where we're putting our things a little bit lower and His things much, much higher? We have that example from God, what He sacrificed, what He gave. How can we, how can we not let ourselves be changed at our core? Then the other thing with this, we see that God's love, it's, it's not abstract. It is real. It is concrete. This is what happened. 33, in 33 AD, Jesus was nailed to that cross. He lived a spotless, sinless life here on earth. Was, we see the concrete example of that love. And you look at the second part of that verse. Sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So that we might live through Jesus. You hear a lot nowadays about hey, you can get to the Father a lot of other ways. Uh, a while back, Rose had uh, we were watching something on YouTube. Somebody told us about this about a Oprah Winfrey show, and she had some minister on there. Minister, I say that very loosely, and he was talking about well, sin is is not you know that big a deal, and there's other many other ways to God. It was I was kind of sitting there across the room listening. I was like, why don't you just turn that off? I really don't want to hear anymore. But we listened through it and. Oprah said, she said, I just don't believe that and can't understand that at all. She goes, how a supposedly loving, all-loving, all all-caring God would send someone to hell for their sin. And would... Wow. Finding, trying to find other ways to God than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. So that we might, the end of verse 9, so that we might live through Him. And then notice the beginning of verse 10, what John says there. In this is love. We see these words again, two times, at the beginning of verse 9 and verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Second time we see those words. In this, in what God has done for us, Shows that. And notice the order also. Not that we have loved God. If you can brush 
if you can get some, if we can get some of the pride and the goodness we think about ourselves and look at our heart, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? And that's what the, what the enemy wants is us to think, well, I'm not as bad as someone else. I'm not as bad as the pastor saying I'm not. I live a good life. Your life, aside from Jesus Christ, is wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It is ugly. A heart that's depraved. There is nothing in us. You notice in verse 10 that would have us actively seek out God. Nothing. It is only through what God has done and His Holy Spirit. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. Make sure you keep the order correct there. Our children go to, uh, every summer they go to Bethel for Bible school because their cousins go there and things. And there's this one little song, it's, it's a couple years ago that they, they sing, and the song goes, First, God loved us first. We love because God loved us first. I know some of your other kids go there too, but you think, I was thinking about that as they were singing that little kid song. Sometimes you don't listen to them too close. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to drive, whatever. And it's like, wow, exactly. We love, we love or are able to love because God loved us first and sent his son in that. We see how that happens. Now, because he loved, because God loved first, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation, that big word we see it every so often, it means appeasement or satisfaction, to be favorably inclined towards something. In Hebrews, in chapter 9, verse 5 of Hebrews, there's a form of the word and it's translated as the mercy seat. It's used again in the original uh, Hebrew and Greek there. The mercy seat where the high priest sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So in Hebrews 9.5, it's used a little, a little bit there again. You think about that, the propitiation. That's exactly what Christ did. His blood was shed and spilt on the behalf of others, on behalf of me, you, a lost and dying world. His blood was shed on the cross to appease the holy wrath of God. It was the only thing that could do it. We know from the Old Testament the sacrifices couldn't do it. Anything in our life today that we possibly think could do it can't do it. Nothing could do it except Jesus Christ through Him and Him alone only. And since that happened, that is why now we do what we do. We live. We love. We help others. We serve. We go on missions. We attack this world in a positive way for the kingdom. We expand our kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God, and not our earthly kingdom. So you think about that in verse 10, the propitiation for our sins. All that sin and wrath that should have been yours and mine was all poured out on Jesus Christ, and, thank God, it was satisfied once and for all at that moment. Now, if you look in verse 11, God uses... God uses, through John, the term beloved, which is it's a very strong term of endearment, if you will. So he says there, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God sent Jesus Christ, through whom and by whom we gain salvation. Now, we also ought to love one another. This is not just an idea or a concept or eh, something that would be good if, you guys, if we would do it. It's an obligation. We ought to love one another because of what God has done for us. How can we not love one another? An interesting thing, we're not going to get to it this week, but if you look, over, if you look down the page a little bit or across the page at verse 20, verse 20 is one of the most daunting verses in the Bible for me. 
If you look at verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, very plainly states in the scripture, you are a liar. Pretty tough, isn't it? It's pretty in your face, isn't it? Think about whoever it is. Forget the world for just a second. Just forget the world. Let's go into this church, in the church. Think about the person in Providence Mennonite Church that you love the least, who gets on your last nerve, who's friction with. Think about that. If you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's the example that Christ laid down his life for. That's what he died for. And the other thing to think about that too, not only in verse 20 there, but how can we show a missional godly love to the lost and dying world if the church, the body of Christ, fellow believers are not showing it to each other? It's going to be impossible, isn't it? You've all heard the words uh, in, in sports terminology. You talk the game, but can you play the game? You know, if we talk the game, the Christian life, we have to live the Christian life and let it be at our core being in everything that we do and say, we need to be the body of Christ here, here, at Providence, in our world, in our community, in everything we do. Verse 12, last verse. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Love, this love, we've been talking about it throughout all these verses, it's the heart of our missional identity and the core of our Christian witness, the very center of our Christian witness to show this love. Our lost and dying world, this is, this is who we're, re- we're supposed to be reaching a lost and dying world, a world that's out there going to hell every day. It cannot see God loving. God's love is invisible. God is invisible. Think about that. And Jesus, Jesus Christ, is not physically here anymore. So how how does the world see this love? It sees the love through us, through the body of Christ. This is what we are supposed to be doing now. Supposed to be loving. Supposed to be going out, living that in our daily lives, looking for areas to serve. The thing that you think about as far as how self-sacrificial God's love was. How self-sacrificial is our love? How much do we sacrifice? How much do we think we could do without money, time, all those things? How much are we living that out? Going, helping. We want to get, you know, a lot of our lives, think about... Think about this for a second. A lot of our lives are spent making our lives better, aren't they? It's most of our lives spent. Financially speaking, retirement speaking. A lot of that, that's what a lot of our life is spent on. Making ourselves as comfortable as possible. Those type of things. How does that measure up with God's missional identity and what God has? 
I'm not saying everything we're doing is wrong by any means, but as a challenge, as an encouragement, I know every one of us could be doing more, couldn't we? Every one of us. To live this out in our community, in society as a whole. John 13.35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The only demonstration of God's love today is you and I, is the church. And by this, in John 13, all people will know that you love me, is by showing that love and loving one another. We are to be a blessing, a blessing in this, sin, in this sinful world, revealing God's love and what He has. The very end of, of 12 there, and His love is perfected in us. As we grow in that love, we realize it shows us more and more about our sinfulness. We look more to the cross and less to the world. We look more to what Jesus has done for us and less to our world and what we want to get out of it. You think about, about this as far as what we work for, what we strive for, what we aim for. The question is, are we hitting the mark in what we strive for, aim for, live for? When, you stand, when we stand before God one day, what is going to last when it's tested by fire? What is going to show up as gold, silver, precious stones? And what is going to show up as hay, chaff, straw, sticks, worthlessness? What is going to matter for the kingdom? What eh, could probably be brushed aside and left? I just want to encourage each and every one of you, as you think about this, the body, we, are, we are the body of Christ. Called, there's a reason, there's no mistake, God, there's a reason this church is here, right in this location, and these people are in it. That you are my brother, we are brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church. And what are we supposed to be doing? Living out the gospel in our daily lives. In closing, I want to just leave you with one of my favorite statements. Josh is going to roll his head and go, no. You are the only Bible a lot of this world is ever going to read. They could care less what this thing says. They could not give a hoot about this book. This book means absolutely nothing to an unbeliever. Nothing. We know as Christians, it is the holy word of God. You're the only Bible a lot of this world's ever going to read. Are you loving according to what God has mandated in this Bible? Are you living that way? Are we actively seeking out ways to self-sacrificially take the kingdom out to a lost and dying world? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you, thank you for your Son, dear Lord, who makes all things possible. He is the only reason that we are together as a church today. You sending Him into the world to save us. Save us from ourselves, dear Lord. I just thank You for that. Thank You for Your guidance. Thank You for Your Word that we can freely read and live out. Thank You for everything You've done in our lives. I pray that You'd help us with our lives to live a life that is more mission-minded in what our mission through You is, what You've mandated from ages past. Help us in that, dear Lord. Guide us, lead us. Direct us and keep us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.